Hi, everyone. My name's Joey. Um, some of you may know me from my work with Seeking Balance and Rocksteady. I take a special interest in the sensory system, in neuroscience, in the brain, in the body, and in the physical, mental, emotional layers of being human. And I want to say I'm learning a little bit about my own humanity. And yesterday I discovered that I'm autistic and it's becoming more and more common for adult women to get these late um, I'm hesitant to call it diagnosis because it's not a medical condition. It's a description of my neurotype. So what does that even mean? First of all, I just want to say that I love being neurodivergent, and that means that the way my brain processes the world as an autistic woman and child is I, I have a very specific and high-detail way of taking in information, lots and lots of information, very quickly processing it and constructing my own perspective on whatever it is I'm experiencing. And each autistic person or neurodivergent person will have their own special quirks with how their body processes information. And we're taking information in through our senses, through our eyes, ears, skin, touch, temperature, emotional senses, you know, nervous system, neural mirroring, and there's a lot of information. There's literally billions of data points for the brain and the body to integrate and process. So for neurodivergent people, um, we are sometimes at risk of anxiety, depression, clutter, fatigue, exhaustion, just because of this bombardment of data. A neurotypical person, on the other hand, doesn't have as much neural interconnectivity as an autistic person. And the theory is that there is a neural pruning that goes on around the age of seven or by the age of seven, which gets all these clusters of general umbrella sort of uh, contents of information. And there's pruning that goes on so that information can be easily, um, I suppose, generalized and used quickly and effectively. So for neurotypical people, they're not taking in as much data simultaneously and doing all of these internal rapid analyses, data analyses. They're taking in large chunks of information and having very simple analysis. And so neurotypical people can be out and about in the world and less overstimulated. Their brain is able to really um, fluidly and easily process information um, in a way that's, I suppose, easy and not bothersome. And there are some definitely pros and cons to both. So neurotypical people may have more stamina out and about in the world. They may seek external um, stimulation a little more because they, they crave that input and it feels good for them to have lots of exposure to rave parties or big music concerts or, um, you know, insert loud, noisy, busy environment. Whereas an autistic person, and, and we're all different, um, but an autistic person may actually seek at times quietness, darkness, alone time, solitude, just to really let the brain consolidate, integrate and rest. And at other times when we're feeling more energetic, we may, we may want to dip in to a music concert or a festival, but then we may want to dip out again, just so that the brain's not getting frazzled and overstimulated. Um, and, you know, I have not known I've been autistic, so it's been a journey for me to understand why am I so, so fatigued at the end of the day when my neurotypical friends are still ready to go for more and do more 
and I'm just waning and really feeling like I need to go to bed or remove myself. So throughout my life, I have had all these questions about, you know, what's wrong with me? Am I different? Um, And I think these are very common internal ruminations for autistic girls and women. There's a lot of myths out there. So just my first point is neurodiversity. There are different types of brains. They're all healthy and beautiful variants of being human, beautiful variations, and there's strengths and there's challenges for all neurotypes. Most people are neurotypical. They have the most average and common sort of brain brain processing style, but there's a spectrum. And they're neurodivergent people, don't have this pruning process, have very interconnected, um, highly detailed processing brains, whereas when we walk into a room, we notice lots of detail. We notice the colour socks people are wearing. We notice their moods, their emotions. We're noticing lots of different detail and we're taking that in. So it can be exhausting and fatiguing, but it can also mean that we're actually very highly observant. We're lateral thinkers and we're not immediately um, stepping into social assumptions, cultural assumptions, or sort of signing up and conforming to social systems that everybody else seems to just understand and follow based on that neural pruning process, we question things and we look at the face value. We possibly are more objective with how we collect information about a community or a group and we make our own opinions up. We don't necessarily conform to what might be some kind of invisible cultural agreement that everybody else or it feels like most people just agree to it for no reason without discussion. So sometimes autistic people say they feel like they're missing this rule book or this manual of how to do human and how to live life. I actually think it's an amazing gift to be neurodivergent and to have this capacity to sit back and look at systems and structures and human cultures and collect the data and look at what feels just and what feels fair and what feels um, balanced. And I really enjoy the fact that also being autistic means I can speak my mind more freely without worrying about what other people think because I'm, I'm missing some of those, I think, embarrassment or vulnerability filters and feelings that neurotypical people might have so they may be more voiceless um, or they may they may not understand what cultural assumptions that they're even living in whereas as a neurodivergent person I feel like I can look at the entire system I can understand the way social systems work that's why so many women and girls are not diagnosed with autism is from a young age we learn social rules we might make a mistake once and then we don't make that social um, faux pas again we learn quickly nobody notices it but we might feel awkward on the inside so a lot of an autistic woman's uh, symptoms if you want to call it that are internal difficulties internal suffering feeling constantly told to um, sit still be quiet pay attention listen don't say this don't do that you know constantly being groomed by the outside world on how we should be in order to be appropriate so there's a lot of internal shaming and feeling that our authentic natural creative self is somehow wrong and that's devastating and that's part of the reason why I want to make this video is to really celebrate autism and neurodivergence and encourage people to look for it in younger women and girls to help get them support earlier on. Um, I know 
so I think I finished my point there, which is just celebrating different neurotypes. Oh, one of the strengths of being neurodivergent. So neurotypical people have great stamina and endurance and they can go out and work hard and be teachers and nurses and put the hours in. Whereas an autistic person may be better working from home, uh, less hours, possibly a less social environment. Um, Solitude could be more beneficial for an autistic person in terms of just minimizing the amount of extra simulation and extra processing. So I myself, I work from home. I choose my hours and a huge part of my work is actually taking care of myself and listening to my body and really responding to the internal sensations, the feelings in my body that are telling me that I'm overstimulated or I'm not listening to myself, that I'm perhaps leaving my body or prioritizing other people, perhaps spending too much energy or time worrying about my children or clients or friends or husband and really drawing myself back in to my body, into my boundaries and filling up my cup, allowing my brain to defrag, to integrate, metabolize, digest and process my day. So I have, for example, probably um, my capacity to be around other people and be in crowds, I would say is much lower than neurotypical people. And if I continued to work at the University of Melbourne where I was working in my 20s and working nine to five, being around people all day long, having to follow so many external rules and cultural assumptions that didn't feel right to me, did not feel nourishing to me, I absolutely believe I would have burnt out, shut down, meltdown. You know, my body was really screaming um, and finding that workplace environment very difficult. I was really becoming sick. I experienced chronic tinnitus, vertigo, dizziness, anxiety. I had a couple of panic attacks and I really had to learn how to change my life to really nurture my body and I had to learn to understand myself. And I just had no idea any of that could be related to my neurotype. I was just simply listening to my body and following the call of my body and learning how to live life at my pace rather than living at other people's pace. One of the gifts of neurodivergent minds is this incredible ability to fixate and focus on special interests. And mine, of course, was the sensory body and neuroscience and the brain and the body and spirituality and yoga. And my current book I'm writing is on how we digest the millions of invisible data points that are entering the physical body, the mental, emotional, and spiritual layers of life, how we physically digest and metabolize that information, move it through us so that life is actually shaping us and transforming us. And we're not becoming accumulated with stress patterns and tension patterns that can't leave the body because they're undigested. So when I get focused on areas of interest, I can literally focus for hours and it gives me so much vitality. I will finish being at my computer for three hours straight or something and feel life force and vitality and vibrancy running through my body because my brain loves to be on topic when it interests me and when it's my passion. So I have this incredible capacity to study high detail information, to stay on theme, to stay on topic and to keep doing that for days, weeks, months, years on end. And there's great benefit to that, to the global community. Much of the scientific discoveries and unusual 
non-conforming ideas that are shaping our planet to make it a more kind and accepting place are coming from autistic people because we understand that eccentricity matters. Oddness and weirdness are gifts. And an example of that is when we have normal stresses in day-to-day life, the body is taking all of this tension and these shockwaves in and it's holding it in the physical body and in the neurological body. And it gets to a point where the human being, all neurotypes, doesn't matter if you're neurotypical or neurodivergent, we need to actually move that tension through us so it's not held in the body and stuck and accumulating and sort of progressing into a disease state. So many young autistic children will actually flap their hands, they will spin, they will jump, they will you know, do star jumps, cartwheels. I know for myself as a younger person, I loved gymnastics and I loved yoga. So it was sort of eccentric, but also sort of socially acceptable that I would randomly do cartwheels and handstands in a supermarket or wherever I was. And I look back now and I think I was discharging energy. I had too much energy flowing through my body and I had to move it and discharge it. And as an autistic person, we will try and find ways to really move that life force and that those invisible patterns through our body because it is so troubling and the accumulation can build up that we can become anxious, panicky, depressed, aggressive, rough, shut down, rigid. Um, and then, of course, we're at risk of being diagnosed medically with a, with a completely incorrect diagnosis such as bipolar, social anxiety, personality disorder. So um scanning my thoughts eccentricity oddness weirdness it's actually a really beautiful healthy thing for all humans to question some of these social antiquated assumptions and beliefs that we should be quiet we should be smiling we should be still we should stand with a straight back like Nobody gets hurt if somebody in the office starts doing star jumps or starts shaking their body or leaves a meeting to just go and jump around and have a little quick dance to move their energy and shake it out and then come back into the meeting. Yes, that might be considered unusual social behavior, but it's also excellent role modeling of regulating the nervous system, of moving and discharging tension through the body, and nobody gets hurt. And I think this is what... Being an autistic person in today's world is we're shaping the world to be a better place. As more people can really be authentic, can genuinely feel life with all of its passion and all of its bigness and all of its tragedy and really be centered on our human fragility as a gift that we don't have to pretend and fake and mask and camouflage all day long, which is exhausting and really unsustainable in the long run that if we can all be authentic, both neurodivergent people and neurotypical people, if we can all be authentic and speak our mind, understanding that a lot of times we're moving our body or speaking our mind or making sounds, you know, sometimes it might be roaring like a lion or big belly laugh or um, echolalia is repeating the same word or sentence on repeat because it's soothing. You know, no one gets hurt. And it's just a beautiful, creative expression of human life force. Um, the way I view it is as humans become more authentic and they actually come home into their body to inhabit and embody their truth and to let life move through them beautifully and naturally with this incredible life flow and vitality, 
we become living art pieces. We actually become human pieces of art. We're free flow expressing ourselves, exploring our truth and having that level of connection to authenticity more often. However, in the neurotypical world with lots of social rules, lots of social assumptions, lots of um, social regulations and expectations, everyone is suffering under this regime of being a certain way, speaking a certain way, turning up in a certain way, responding in a certain way. It's like there's an element of life force that is just being cut off and restricted and our bodies are holding that trauma. It's like we can't naturally... Um, express ourselves you know I've just got this picture of Elaine from Seinfeld just doing all of her crazy kicks and actually all four of the Seinfeld main characters Kramer, George, Jerry and Elaine represent autistic spectrum uh, characteristics and qualities so all of those characters which I love I think they're hilarious um, display aspects that are somewhat typical along the autistic spectrum But there's that sense of freedom and quirkiness and weirdness that actually Seinfeld does demonstrate to some extent. So, yes, I, I, um, if I come back to my journey of being autistic, at times it was really hard and I actually did quite well at school. I also think in terms of I wasn't heavily bullied or anything, I was socially awkward and uncomfortable, but I, I tended to play the eccentric odd card which became socially acceptable and people would call me the free spirit or the hippie one and I just rolled with that, um, which got me by and I got good grades and I don't remember high school or primary school being terribly traumatic, but I do remember feeling throughout my life this sense of loneliness and no one understands me and the reason for that is because I had no idea I was masking. And masking means that I basically look at the social situation, I collect all that invisible data about people's emotions and feelings and intentions and strategies, and I'm I'm actively seeking that information so I can calculate what's my best, best response, how should my face be, how should my body be, how should I respond to that situation. So it's very exhausting, um, but that's the survival mechanism. So masking means I'm basically performing based on what the social circumstance needs and I'm trying to get the most sort of the best outcome. But it also means I'm abandoning myself. I'm not authentic. I'm not trusting myself. I'm really analysing the situation um, because that's what I've been taught to do. So that's, and now that I know I'm autistic and I understand what masking is, I can actually be authentic. I can pause, I can breathe, I can slow down, I can listen to my body, I can feel my emotions and my sensitivities, and I can respond in ways that I feel safe um, expressing. And I might choose my people, but I think the older I get and the more I deeply trust my body and understand myself, the less I need to mask at all. And there can be situations in daily life where it's actually really necessary to mask because it's unsafe to have that free flow of creative thought and expression. And that's, I think, um, the way life is. So that's that's not necessarily a bad thing, but something to be aware of that sometimes we can create more discomfort and trouble than it's worth. And that's a perfect situation to put on a mask and just perform a little bit and get through it. Um So your masking, camouflaging and compensating are all exhausting strategies that autistic women in particular are doing and using all day long. So they might go to work, 
put on the performance, do what they need to do and be what they need to be for others, get home and absolutely crash out exhausted. And they're, they're thinking, why am I so tired? I'm, I'm unreasonably tired compared to my neurotypical peers. So throughout my life, um, my special interests really served me. From the age of 15, I got very heavily interested in yoga and that was before yoga was cool. Um, but people really accepted I had that special interest. I, it was never flagged as unusual and I spent a lot of time and that also helped me come into my body and relax that chronic anxiety that was bubbling within me because I didn't necessarily understand how I fit in the world. So having that special interest I think was very life-saving and prior to yoga it was gymnastics. I put a lot of time and energy into gymnastics and again that gave me ways to dispel that energy and use my body and it was socially normalized. So again no one picked it up. And as a very much younger child, you know, under the age of 10, I had asthma attacks and I think asthma attacks were my way of having shutdowns and meltdowns. So when an autistic brain actually has too much information overload and overwhelm and we get this dysregulation of the emotional brain, um, one way we recuperate and recover is to melt down, which can look like a tantrum, or to shut down, which can look like really just a, a migraine dark room, not wanting any eye contact or um, interactions with people. We just want to really go into our own quiet cone and recuperate our resources and, and integrate and process. And then long-term um, neglect of the sort of autistic needs can lead to burnout, which can be just month-long periods of feeling highly exhausted and shutting the world out. Um, so as a child, I would have asthma attacks, I think, as my way of melting down and and getting my needs met and recalibrating and recuperating. And I think the reason for that is actually my mother just wouldn't let me whinge and wouldn't let me tantrum. It's like we had a no tantrum policy at home and I was a highly sensitive child very sensitive to textures, to light, to crowds, to all sorts of things, just high detail, high sensitivity, and I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't complain about it, so I would melt down and have an asthma attack, and that's how I got that need met. So, again, I wasn't diagnosed with autism. I was diagnosed with asthma. So there's a lot of misdiagnosis that's very common for autistic women. Um, I wanted to also talk about the fact that a lot of people think Autism means, you know, obsession with trains or um, like kind of social abnormalities or like not wanting friends or being rude or difficult, um, you know, like that it can be autism can have a really ugly diagnostic deficit face. And look, there's such a spectrum of autism that it's true that some autistic people may actively push human beings away and want very little contact with the human world and they might feel really nourished and full in connection with their special interests, which could be anything from trains to stamps to dinosaurs to astrophysics, um, or it could be that they just feel very nourished by the connection with nature and trees and ecology or chimpanzees, you know. So... Many autistic women actually deeply love social connections. They want deep friendships. It's just the way autistic women communicate is different to how neurotypical women communicate. So there can be like a lot of clashing in how we're sharing information, how we're using our body, how we're enthusiastic or interrupting or, you know, um, they call it info dumping, like gathering all this information and just sharing it like a tsunami waterfall. And that can be really 
overwhelming or uncomfortable for a neurotypical women, woman. So a lot of autistic women will say they have much um, better flow and emotional connection or understanding with other neurodivergent women. And I think that can be really useful information to learn because that's when we can speak our mind, move our life force freely, not hold back so much. But also a lot of women are socially aware and we understand sensitivity. We understand hurting other people's feelings. We understand speaking out of turn or interrupting or unsolicited advice. So there will be this sense of as we get older and as we learn all of these social um, just sensitivities, we can also learn how to check in and say, oh, are you okay with that? Or, you know, did I speak out of line there? And I think when you have two neurodivergent women together, the, the chaos in the conversation is sort of just beautifully unfolding. There's much less stop and start or awkwardness. And when you have two neurodivergent women who share a special interest, there can be a great amount of energy and life force and vitality that will naturally explode because there's this shared excitement uh, between two people with that high interest. Whereas when you put a neurodivergent woman with a neurotypical woman, the chit chat and everything can just be really exhausting and fatiguing and that there's not that sense of life force pulsing. It's a deadening feeling. So um, I think sometimes it's just good to be aware that there's nothing wrong with you in those situations. You don't have to be interested in everyone and everything. And it's okay to have that dissonance. Like we can still have lots of neurotypical friends, but we might find we we have to find where and how we connect comfortably and authentically. But I, I found it really useful to understand that as an autistic woman, maybe I find chit-chat just really exhausting and really difficult. And I felt like that was really useful information for me to take on board, um, to cut myself slack, you know, to be compassionate. Um, and also just to, to think about how I can find really meaningful, authentic ways to connect with my neurotypical friends. Um, yes, I feel like for me it's been incredibly useful information for understanding why I pace myself. I've got two children, I'm married, I have an online business, I work from home, and I have to pace how I use my energy. I have to listen to my body. If I know I have a big concert or a big drive to Melbourne, which is two hours each way, if I have something that I know is going to be taxing for me and a big investment of my energy, I prepare for it both before and afterwards to make sure I, I don't need to melt down or shut down, that I'm taking care of my neurological needs. And that process has been the most beautiful journey of what I call Rocksteady, which is my online community I built for folks with sensory sensitivities. So chronic tinnitus or chronic dizziness, chronic vertigo, and that in that community we have a lot of emotional overwhelm, emotional dysregulation, anxiety, depression, feeling isolated, you know, um, just really struggling with life and the world. And as a community we're all exploring how do we slow down to our own pace, listen to our body, and really have compassion for who we are as a whole person. It's actually not the diagnosis or the label. It's what do I need in this moment? What am I genuinely sensing and feeling if I take the mask off and stop pretending and how do I meet that and support that and that's a journey I've been on really since I turned about the age of 30. Um, so through my 20s I really struggled I did quite well through school good enough awkward but good enough 
through my 20s in university, it was really traumatic. 20s were hard for me and I started getting suicidal once or twice a year. Um, I never took any action towards that. I never tried suicide, but there was a lot of like darkness visiting me and I didn't understand why. But I think it's this not knowing my neurotype, not knowing I was autistic and just feeling like I'm constantly catching up with the neurotypical world and I'm never there. So yeah, my 20s were pretty hard and lonely and a lot of masking, a lot of faking, but also my refuge and my saviour was the fact that I loved my masters. I did I studied psychology, neuroscience, vestibular audiology. I you know, I super specialized in the vestibular organs and balance. And I had that autistic gift to really focus on something and learn it quickly, learn it effectively, and really become very comfortable with that super specialty. And that was my 20s. I got I studied Iyenga yoga. I was doing five hours of yoga a day, just intensely studying and working as a vestibular audiologist. And those super interests were what kept me alive and nourished my brain and um, kept me grounded. Um, So I guess I share that with you because if you're listening and you have some interests, follow them. Those passions, those special interests, those hyperfixations could be your savior when you're feeling really vulnerable or low. And I also notice when I don't spend much time on my special interests and I try and hide them perhaps or I dull them down or I I mute them because I don't want to seem weird or geeky or nerdy or whatever, like when I'm masking and trying to look neurotypical, it deadens my brain. Whereas when I just let myself be fully nerdy, geeky and into it, I feel alive, I feel taller, I feel more awake. So my encouragement would be if you know you have some weird geeky, nerdy, unusual fixations, interests, passions, go for it. Just simply go for it. Let your brain have that vitality. And even better, if you can find someone else to share that passion with, if that lights you up, having that sense of deep connection that's eccentric and neurodivergent. Um, So just some really quick tips on things that have helped me because in many ways I discovered the autistic piece through my gifts not through a sense of symptoms or disability. I discovered it after writing my new book. The publisher said, Joey, I think everything you're writing about sounds amazing and also really of interest to the autistic community. And I went home and Googled autism and very quickly realized I think I'm neurodivergent. And the reason I'm able to work with neurodivergent people and sensory sensitivities and emotional dysregulation and overwhelm and sort of all of these autistic type um markers is because I've actually lived it myself so I got I got tested and found out that sure enough I'm autistic so things that have really helped me are I think not pushing myself to live at other people's pace of life really understanding who are my safe friends and limiting or just really honoring when I want to be social and when I want to be alone um Writing has really helped me. Yoga has really helped me. Um, Time alone, quiet time, quiet sitting, you can call it meditation if you like. That's really helped me. Things that help me quieten down my busy brain and help me digest life and declutter, very helpful. Sleep, I probably sleep a lot more than other people. Um, And if I need to nap or rest, I will, especially with my children. Um, But all of this self-awareness, it's actually one of the traits of being an autistic woman is they're highly self-aware, but that can turn into hypervigilant, obsessive, compulsive, unhelpful cycles if we don't have the compassion, kindness and, and toolkit, which is 
that rock steady process I was talking about to understand how to manage a busy mind or how to how to be kind through panic and high stress and really learning to unmask and learning to be authentic is such a journey and that is precisely the journey that I now recognize I've been on for the last uh, probably 10 years so I'll be turning 40 at the end of the year and I would say I, I started really nurturing my body and listening to my brain and understanding myself around the age of 30 because my 20s were so difficult. Um, yeah, so I just I feel like being able to really appreciate my neurotype, take care of myself, cut myself slack. I feel like since finding this um, information about myself recently, just in the last six weeks, I feel lighter, I feel taller, I feel really deeply proud to be neurodivergent. I now look at how I put all this time into building the Rocksteady program, which is my bread and butter. That's my work. It's also my special interest. And I love, I have a global community full of men and women, both neurotypicals and neurodivergent women, literally from from so many different continents and cultures around the world and we have live monthly calls together we're all in a process of understanding our bodies and our authenticity and I didn't realize this at the time when I built Rocksteady that you know I was a vestibular audiologist creating support tools for my clients with chronic symptoms where the medical system was really failing and just sending them away nothing you can do no cure try some anti-anxieties see you later and I was just like, this doesn't work for me. This this doesn't make sense to me. And that's the autistic mind. I'm looking at the situation. I'm looking at the mind-body connection. I'm looking at all this information we have access to regarding nervous system regulation, body scanning, proprioception, prefrontal cortex, and all this integration that can help them change their sensory inputs and sensory networks. And I built a program that was educational and really pulling together all of my training and making sense to me. I offer that education out to the world to help others. And now I realize it really helped me as an autistic woman, having that special interest, having a group of people to share that special interest with. And all of those skills and tools I had in the Rocksteady program, which is a multimodality educational program based on neuroplasticity and neuroscience, they were all the skills and tools I needed for unmasking and for being the authentic version of me. So I feel really proud to be autistic. If I was neurotypical, I probably would have been interested in tinnitus and vertigo for two weeks and then my interest is over, right? But because I have this special interest fixation, I could really focus in day after day, week after week, month after month, and I literally still have that interest. I'm still enthusiastic about it. It still lights me up and I love my community. Um, it's, yeah. So I, I just wanted to put a spotlight on how being autistic and being neurodivergent can be a genuine gift. Um, my business completely supports our family. I'm financially independent and I wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for my autistic gifts. Um, I think I want to finish by saying when we struggle with autism and we have a social disability, I want to paint a picture. If everybody in your community was autistic, so very highly highly sensory sensitive, sensitive 
and perhaps overwhelmed quickly, you know, very passionate about certain special interest topics. You know, if we all shared these similar quirks, you know, shaking and spinning and dancing around the house, there would be no disability because we're all the same and we're all free flow in our body and there's no stifling, right? No one's getting hurt. We're just all being beautifully neurodivergent in our own village. And, you know, we're all speaking in our own crazy ways and everybody's kind and accepting. They're not getting offended or uncomfortable and saying, don't say this, don't do that. There's this genuine sense of kindness, acceptance and non-judgment toward all different expressions of neurodiversity. There would be no social disability if people understood, I can only work one hour today because that's what my brain has in it. If we had this sense of flexibility, understanding, acceptance, more gifted autistic people would be in the workforce and recognized for their incredible talents. And I've just been listening to a podcast where a woman spoke about a Danish group that is exactly that. They match autistic talents to companies around the world that need that speech, that niche special interest. And there's this beautiful coming together of a very gifted mind, but perhaps awkward person or, you know, socially shy person that might not do well in a job interview. And that autistic gift is getting married up with an employer. And the employer is getting trained how to be sensitive and aware and accepting of neurodivergence so that the autistic person doesn't have to mask and pretend they can be themselves, they can have their incredible talents, and they can contribute into the workforce. And this is what we need to know about autism. It's not a disorder. It's not a medical condition. It's a beautiful variant of neural processing. And because we're seeing and experiencing the world differently, we can offer new lateral ideas, which is what I've done in the tinnitus and vertigo world. I've looked at the mainstream medical model and said, this makes no sense to me. I'm going to go off and create my own um, model of treatment and support, which really takes into consideration my experience of how these sensations and symptoms work through the human body and understanding the processing and that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects, which the mainstream just wasn't looking at. They were just looking at the ears. They weren't looking at the whole person. So being autistic can be a real gift if we're not stuck in meltdown, shutdown, anxiety, depression, and really unfortunate, incorrect diagnoses such as bipolar or social anxiety, which doesn't help us with um, being the best version of ourselves. I want to finish by saying being neurodivergent, I think, is something to celebrate there's no point trying to be neurotypical when you're not. We can't change our neurotype. We're born this way. It's a beautiful processing. Um, it's a beautiful type of brain. We don't in any way, shape or form need to change the way we process information. And any therapy or culture that tries to change you as an autistic or neurodivergent person, I simply don't agree with. What I look at is a neurodivergent affirming way of being in the world, which means whatever brain and body you have, you're born with. However you process information and run that information through your body is your unique way of being. It's something to celebrate and support. And whatever support you need to get the rest and integration time you need to understand yourself, to nurture yourself and to learn how to truly be authentic without all the performing, pretending and masks, that's what we need to do as a culture to support you, to be the best version of you, no matter how quirky, no matter how weird, strange or odd, we want more oddness in the world. We want more weird. We want more quirky. Um, 
now I think is a great time for the planet to be more accepting of diversity, but we've got a lot, a long way to go. So that's my share today. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful journey. If you want to meet me and get to know me and join my community, you'll find me at seekingbalance.com.au. Within my community, I host the Rocksteady program and we meet twice a month. We have a grief and soul tending circle to be vulnerable and real together on Zoom. And we also have live monthly calls for sharing insights and questions and challenges as we go through this process of listening to the body, understanding our sensitivities and not quite right feelings. And as we learn how to be authentic, to take off those masks and just be who we are, I think that's essentially what we're all doing, including the neurotypical people who are in our community and they're burnt out. They're actually burnt out. Um, I could say more, but I'm going to stop there. I'm Joey Remini. Thank you so much for listening and getting this far. Uh, much love and bye for now.